Good morning, everyone. So good to be here. I'm very grateful to speak here today. Um, thank you all for welcoming me, as you have in the past two months. I'm really thankful for that. It's my first time to preach in English, which is uh, really exciting. It's lovely to do, and it brings all sorts of new questions, like, how do I address you all? Would I say, ladies and gentlemen, um, saints, <laughs> dear fellow Christians, if it's okay with you, I'll go with friends. <laughs> friends, today we're going to start our Advent series, and it's called The Coming King. Christmas is approaching, as we all know, and especially media and shops are very eager to get us into the mood for it. Um, I'm sure some of you will have heard your first Christmas songs on the radio, seen the advertisements on the telly. I've been to the mall the other day and I saw my first Christmas tree of the year. It is the season to be jolly. But what we're going to reflect on as a church in the coming few weeks is not just something that brings laughter, pleasure or presence. Today we're going to look at the topic, hope, why we and the world need the king. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to Luke chapter 2, as we are going to meet with somebody who is very eagerly hoping and waiting for a king to come. So that's Luke chapter 2, we'll start at 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Here he is. His name is Simeon, righteous and devout, the Holy Spirit resting on him, and he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, as I said, I've been living in the UK for about two months now, but the word consolation was one that I felt I should look up. Um, quite frankly, I didn't know what it meant. So I looked up the word consolation and I came to consolation is the act or an instance of consoling or being consoled. That wasn't very helpful, so I looked that up. <laughs> <laughs> and console means to alleviate the grief, sense of loss or trouble off. This is what Simeon is waiting for, the consolation of Israel. Israel and its people are longing for consolation. So why is that? Well, as we can see from the Old Testament, the people of Israel have a long history of being under the yoke of other nations and of their own sin. They've been led into idol worship by their earlier kings and leaders. They drifted away from the Lord. They came back to Him again, drifted away again, came back to Him again and again and again. They were sent into exile, came back from that, and in the end were conquered by the Roman Empire. And that's where they are now in Luke 2. Now, in all this time, through everything that happened, the Lord hadn't left them. He hadn't been absent, but there had been prophecies of deliverance, of a coming king who would break the yoke of oppression and bring consolation to Israel. The Israelites were waiting for this Messiah to come, and so far the prophecy hadn't been fully fulfilled. There had been people who claimed that they themselves were the fulfillment of the prophecy. I am the Messiah, you all need to follow me. They tried to gain power and authority for themselves or start a revolt. And in the end, it would die out and nothing really changed. So by this time, 
Some may still feel inclined to take matters into their own hands, and others might be losing heart. But that's not the case for Simeon. He is still waiting, and he has good reason to believe that it is going to come soon. It could be that we are joining Simeon today on the most important day of his life. Because it has been revealed to him that he will see the Lord's Messiah before he dies. So while everyone is waiting for the coming king and not sure whether they will see him or not, Simeon is confident that he will see him with his own eyes. And let's think about that for a second. It's one thing to know there are prophecies that a king is going to come. You could be aware of those. You could know where in the books those things are written. But if you knew, if the Holy Spirit had revealed to you that you would get to see him with your very eyes, would you be excited? How would you go about and wait for him to come? Would you get up on your roof and see if there's a cloud of dust approaching at the horizon? Would you be in a temple every day or keep an eye out for a holy mountain? Would you wear your shoes to bed so you could get out on the street as soon as you would hear the trumpet sound? And even if another day goes by, would you lose heart or would you still thank the Lord every morning just for the fact that he made a promise? And how would you expect this king to come? The circumstances for the Israelites are such that they would like the Messiah to come as a military leader. Like the judges in the old days. Someone who would overthrow the oppressors, kick out the governors, maybe topple the Roman Empire. And that kind of king should come with proper display of power, in full armor. Some entrance that would strike fear and awe in the hearts of the people. I want to show you a picture of somebody. Does anyone know who this man and woman are? Not the king of Denmark, the king of the Netherlands. Yeah. So the man is King Willem Alexander, William Alexander. The woman is his wife, Queen Maxima. Now, formally, he is the head of state of the Netherlands. But his power is purely constitutional and mostly ceremonial. He doesn't have much real authority to do things or to make decisions that will change the course of the country. Most of the time, he just represents the Netherlands to other countries and he signs rules of law that the cabinet have written. And still, look at him. Oh, go to the picture. That's a very nice royal robe he's wearing. His wife is wearing a very beautiful dress and a crown. And every day when it's, or every year when it's time for his annual speech for the, from the throne, they travel by a golden coach with royal guard and horses. And for his daily duties, he has a very luxurious Audi. <laughs> now for the king of heaven, the Messiah who would bring consolation to Israel, what do you think would be his means of transportation? They had chariots up in heaven. One was lastly used on the day that, that Elijah got taken up into heaven in the Old Testament. It was a very impressive one, engulfed in flames of fire. It would have been quite an impressive way to enter the world. But of course, as we have learned, and we'll remember again this Christmas, that's not what happened. No golden coach, no fancy car, no army, no chariot of fire. The king of heaven chose a way to enter this world 
and to make himself known that no monarch would have chosen. He is born from the womb of a young woman, and his name is Jesus. So let's go back to our story with Simeon, as he is about to meet him. We will read from Luke chapter 2, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon's meeting with the Messiah could have taken place in all sorts of ways. If he were a mighty military leader, Simeon might have seen him ride into the city of Jerusalem and knelt before him. Or he could have witnessed a fiery chariot descending from heaven, surrounded by a royal guard of heavenly armies. But I believe there's something so radically different, so unique, that Simeon sees the Messiah as a child. It's something that's comforting as well as a bit unsettling because a child, well, that's hardly fearsome to behold. It's hardly impressive. And yet Simeon immediately knows it's him. It's him. Mind you, at this point, Jesus has not told a single parable. He hasn't worked any miracles yet. Simeon isn't standing at the foot of the cross, looking up and saying, this is the moment where consolation for Israel arrives. He holds Jesus in his arms, looks upon him and says, now my eyes have seen your salvation. And what's more, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Maybe you hear this and you think, well, yes, Lord, how we could use some light in this world. I don't want to spend too much time to tell you about the state of the world in 2019. Quite honestly, I think you hardly need a convincing. We know the story, and it's nothing to get jolly about. There are still people living in poverty, dying of hunger and thirst. The planet is being wrecked, and we're bickering about whose fault it is and who should be doing something about it. The United Kingdom is in great political turmoil. Let's pray for wisdom in the general elections. But what is going to save us won't be the next political leader. It won't be the world's international organizations, and we've become disillusioned enough to know that it's not going to be the World Wide Web either. It won't be civil rights movements or freedom fighters. Just this week I read that the leader of Myanmar, a Nobel Prize winning human rights activist, will be flying to the International Criminal Court in The Hague next month because there is violent oppression and persecution of a minority in her country again. Human saviors will fail 
and heroes will let us down. Oh, we may be able to achieve some results that will improve things for a little bit. The planet might last us a little longer. We could see fewer people dying needlessly of poverty. But ultimately, that's not going to bring us redemption or consolation. But consolation, well, is that what we are waiting for? Do we feel we need to be consoled for anything? Isn't it one of the best things about the Christmas season that we can sit inside on the couch with a good book and hot chocolate, look out the window as we see the cold wind blowing through the trees, maybe some snow even? As a general rule, it is true what the song says. When the weather outside is frightful, the fire is all the more delightful. And if we can see it from our living rooms, sure, let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. And we're so cozy, we tend to forget there's people out there on the street who don't have a home to go to. We don't have a heater. Nice warm clothes to put on. Just the other day we had a collection at uni of coats. It was our contribution to wrap up London. So we collected some coats, jumpers and sweaters. I must admit, I have brought no less than five jumpers with me from the Netherlands. And I still got all five of them. Honestly, I didn't even really think about it. I just liked all of those jumpers and I frankly didn't want to get rid of one of them or lose one of them. And what about us as Christians? We may feel gloomy as we say to one another, the West is getting more and more secular, but it's not like there's active persecution here of the ones who still believe. The coming of Jesus and the words that he said about persecution have been a great message of hope for the church in many years. But do I feel I need that kind of hope? Up until now, honestly, I've had a fairly comfortable life. I haven't been flogged, mocked, or ridiculed for my faith. Or to think back on Andy's reaching, uh, recent preaching, I haven't had that kind of blessing in my life yet. And if I haven't felt that, what will it take for me, maybe I need to take some little extra effort to realize the full weight of the hope of the coming of Christ? Because just like what Marion mentioned earlier on, we have a candle, but sometimes I think the lights around us and the Christmas lights that we use to light up the streets so nicely shine so bright that we forget the candlelight of the light of the world who stepped into darkness as we just sang. And we live in a society that doesn't expect a life devoted to God, to God, to be any helpful. It's far too troublesome. It's far too 
difficult and we wouldn't want to be convicted of anything in our lives, now would we? Have to change anything for the better. By and large, yeah, sure, we all want everyone to be happy. We all want everyone to be warm and cozy. We all want the kingdom. But we prefer to have it without the king. And yet, a king has come. And he has done what none of us, in all our best efforts and good intentions, could achieve. He has shown us a way that no one would have thought of. Let me enter into the world that I've created to bring consolation to everyone, all nations, in every time, even though none of them really deserved it. This rings true for all of us, even if we don't know or feel we don't realize the full meaning of the coming of Christ. Or even if we don't like Christmas at all because it just reminds us of how lonely we sometimes can feel. This rings true for all of us. It's not the season to be jolly. It's the season to rejoice. And what's more... Jesus is not just the king who came. If that were the case, that would be the title of our series. The king who came. But Jesus is the coming king. He lived among us. He died for our sins. He rose again and ascended into heaven with a promise. That one day he will come again in glory. We could spend a lot of time trying to figure out when exactly that's going to happen. Personally, I can't really be bothered to look at the book of Revelations and try to map everything out. I find it kind of reassuring when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west so will be the coming of the Son of Man. This tells me we don't need to worry too much whether we're predicting it correctly. And I do believe in signs of the times. But I don't think we need to worry too much that we are sure we're at the right place at the right time. Because when it's the real event, we will know it. It will be unmistakable. But now that we know the king is coming, now that we too, like Simeon, have a promise to look forward to, to see fulfilled, are we excited for it? How will we go about waiting for him? Will we look up at the sky every now and then, remembering the verses in the Bible that say, one day he will come with the clouds of heaven? Will we wear our shoes to bed? Well, maybe not by actually keeping our boots on while we sleep, but by being ready and living in such a way that every day could be the day and we realize that so that when he comes, and it might be at an unexpected time like a thief in the night, we might be caught off guard, but we're not caught red-handed. And if we are struggling in our lives, 
if the time comes that we're suffering for our faith. When there are moments that we think, Lord, I wouldn't mind it if you would come back soon. Will we still thank the Lord every day for his promise? Because it's this king who came as a baby who said, before ascending to heaven in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, we've started Advent early. But it gives us all the more time to reflect on it. So let's enjoy that. As we go out after this service and in the coming weeks, as Brian and the other preachers will lead us further into Advent. For now, soon I will pray. Um, I'm taking a quick look at Aaron on this. Um, I think there will probably be a prayer team standing at the back on that side. So if there's anything that you would like to receive prayer for, please do find them and don't leave without it. As Alex said at the beginning of the service, there will be coffee and tea and cakes downstairs. Don't miss it. And um, let's talk to one another and pray for each other. As the day gets shorter and darkness might get darker, that the light of Christ will shine all the brighter. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we lift our prayers and our eyes to you. Thank you that you are the coming king. Thank you that you came into this world all those years ago, in a way, at a moment, that very few people expected you to come. Father, we pray that as we remember how you came into this world, that we too will be people who live in the promise that you will come and who will be glad to celebrate when you arrive, even if it's at a moment where very few people expect you to come. Father, as we go out after this service, after today, go with us. Be with us through the accomplished works of your Son and through your Holy Spirit. that the Lord will bless us and keep us. As you promised, Jesus, that you're with us always until the end of the week and until the end of the age. In your name we pray. Amen.